welcome to all the lovers out there. This is the How to Love a Human podcast, moderated by Dr. Candice Nicole Hargons. Follow and come chat it up some more with us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Candice Nicole and on our website, drcandicenicole.com. You will find those links in our description box. Today, the How to Love a Human podcast welcomes Ruben to the space. So sit back and join us along this journey on how to love a human. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to How to Love a Human. I'm here with Dr. Ruben. Hey, Dr. Ruben. Hi, Candice. How you doing? You can you can you can get excited. Feel free to be your full energy. <laughs> well, well I, the full energy is me wondering: Would you do you prefer Candice or you know? I don't um, Doc? care. Okay. I don't care at all. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I think what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to hold my excitement in. Okay. Because I'm super excited. Not only just to you know interact with you. I, I you know I I think we have too few interactions in my personal opinion. Um, but also I love this. Um, this content, content in the podcast, uh, it, it just gets me really excited. We need more of it in the world. Yeah. And you were one of my guests from season one years ago. And so you're the first person that I'm revisiting for an interview. So I look forward to us having this conversation once again and seeing what's the same, what's different. And the first question to jump us off is, are you feeling human or human as fuck? Human AF. I'm laughing because I listened to the first interview uh, earlier and I did not answer that question directly. I think I said, I want to do something different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, I forgot what I said. Maybe I said I'm a, a light worker spirit or something, mm -hmm. but uh, I'm feeling human and human as fuck. Let's just go with human as fuck. Okay. What does that mean to you? Break it down for me. So um, human, human as fuck. When I think of human as fuck, I think of all the vastness and multidimensionality of being a human being. Mm -hmm. uh, the human part being, I think, the part that, you know, we conceptualize in our books and we identify with uh, in terms of our identities and such. And then the being part is the spiritual component mm -hmm. where, you know, we're, we're I call it body bags walking around with souls in them. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm feeling human yeah. as fuck. And that just reminds me of just the, the sacredness of uh, the human experience. Mm. Does I like that you framed it as sacredness. Because when you said body bags with souls in them, I was wondering, did the human aspect of it feel limiting or constricting? Yes and no. Okay. I, I know I'm going to mess up your data. <laughs> it's, I, it's not messing it up for me. I don't really have any preconceived okay. notions about this. Okay, that, that's my own stuff. But it, it's just because it's so dynamic. You know, on one hand, the way we've been, and I, I listened to the old version of this, where it's like I was really scratching the surface of where I'm at now. Mm. To here. So it's it's a beautiful, it's, it's funny to see how things have um, changed, but then yeah. also remain the same. Um. What's the question you asked me again? So did it feel like the human part was constricting or oh, you said true. it was sacred? And so for me, sacred doesn't feel like constricting, but I was wondering, did it feel that way for you? 
Thank you. I, and I, I remember doing that in the last one too. Um, it's yes and no for me. No in the sense, or let's say yes, limiting in the sense that, you know, we're programmed into these identities and, you know, oh, for better or worse, on one hand, they're beautiful. Like, I love being black. And, you know, mm -hmm. on another hand, it's like, you know, I, I love this human experience and how we've created it. And identity can sometimes be limiting in and of itself, too. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, identity, culture, if you, when you play by the rules, you get to be in this identity. Yeah. When you depart from those rules, you know, whether you yourself or other people will perceive you to depart from those, then it starts to create this in-group, out-group dynamic very subtly. Yeah. So in that way, it's limiting because it's like, who said, you know, blackness got to look this one, one way? Who said whiteness has to look like this? Yes. You know? Who created these systems? Why do we have to buy into them? And so in that way, it feels very limiting. But on another hand, once I crack that code of the programming, it's like, uh, we can, I mean, I just, something as simple as this phone, our cell phones, like that came out of the human spirit and psyche. And yes. so it's like if something so complex, you know, this phone with the social media and the interconnectedness could come out of us. Mm. What else can come out of us? Mm -hmm. Then I feel vast and limitless. limitless. Yes. So if you can imagine I don't know where you are generationally, but if you can imagine when we were in the world without cell phones, right? And we were connecting and communicating with each other. And I would have never imagined that this was going to be a thing. Like I could not see having a conversation with you in this way when I was five and 10, you know, like it's so the fact that we created that does to me, attest to the limitlessness yeah. of what our creative power is and our definitional power, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You brought, oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't, I didn't mean to speak over you. No, I was going to say that you brought up one aspect of identity. So I was going to ask you to share your most salient identities. Um, can I, I want to answer it two ways. I okay. feel like I'm answer however you want to. And just for, so your viewers know, like, I'm 31 years old. So mm -hmm. I was the generation right where we had cell phones, but we also experienced life before cell phones. Yeah. We used to play outside and such. And it's different. I'm, I got some um, residual grief from this, this the millennial generation mm -hmm. who is growing up with phones and social media and technology because it is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Overwhelming. I can't imagine being a kid right now. Yeah. Um, but to answer your question, the human being identity that I just described earlier, that, because I was thinking about this. I, yeah. I know she asked me about my most salient identity. And it's- You the saw the questions. You knew where I was going. <laughs> I knew where I was going, but there's a lot of different ways to answer these questions. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm in my, um, when I'm in my element and remembering the truth of this existence, it's, it's the human, it's the human being mm -hmm. I, I, identity. Um, yeah. And, you know, we can go into being the black male because, you know, that being a black man is uh, very salient to me and how I experience the world. But if I had to choose what is most salient, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's and you don't have to choose. You can name as many salient identities as feel right for you. Oh, nice. Well, at the top of my list is, is the human beingness. OK. And then, you know, outside of that, I think being um, 
excuse me. Mm -hmm. I think, um, oh my gosh, a lot of things, you know, being black, being mm -hmm. a man, uh, I think being a helper mm -hmm. generally, but even more specifically, a psychologist, a consultant, an educator, um, a lover. I mm. also might, I guess I might put lover under human being because okay. of the expression mm -hmm. of my human beingness. So those are some things that kind of jump out to me in this ah, moment. Ah, do they feel like there is a hierarchy? Does it feel like a matrix? Does it like how does it when they're salient? Where do they sit with each other? That's a, so I see it as an umbrella. Ah, beingness is the umbrella. Okay, and then everything else just falls underneath there. And so you know, it just depends on what's going on in the day, uh, which which one might come to the forefront, or even in the moment. You know, yeah. in, in the moment, my human beingness is at the forefront. Uh, and you know, I'm ready to jump into whatever role I need to mm -hmm. in that moment. What makes the humanity, the humanness most salient right now? Couple of reasons. Okay. One, I think the most tangible one is I, I, I'm i in the presence of somebody I admire as a change agent. And so um, part of that recognition just, I don't know, brings the best out of my humanity out, I mm -hmm. think. So that's mm -hmm. one. The other is part of my humanity has been re, uh, sensitizing myself to humanity in and of itself. Mm. And so I'm very aware very aware of the suffering that's happening in this moment yeah outside of these walls yeah you know in the world and um when you say aware is it an embodied awareness like are you experiencing it somatically emotionally cognitively right yeah I can right now i could feel yeah. tears welling up if i'm not careful and i think that's part of the humanity i don't i think part of the socialization is closing ourselves off to different parts of humanity. If yep. I'm a man, I'm not supposed to care about women and yes. people who have different genders. Uh, you know, if if somebody's white, they're not supposed to care about uh, black people, people of color, because th those are how the systems function and program us. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, whether you're in the advantaged or disadvantaged side of those oppressions, and it is different, and it isn't meaningful to get to that nuance, but either way, when humans are separate from each other, Everybody loses a part of their yeah. humanity. Yeah, yeah. And so I think part of my own intervention, my healing, my growth, my mission is to never lose sight of that that suffering. I never mm. want to lose sight of suffering. I never want to not feel it and know it's there because I think um, to do that is to be in denial and to move move away from addressing the issues as humans. Got it. When you make the conscious choice, which it sounds like for you, it was really conscious and intentional to tap in to suffering. Yes. What else do you have to do for yourself to continue to be human and to thrive, knowing that that exists, knowing that you contribute, you, you experience like all of those pieces because suffering is pervasive as you noted. Yes. Uh, I see it as like um, a balance and mm -hmm. a table where it's like, I love a tango. You said tango, a mm -hmm. little tango. Um, whereas I love leaning into um, human contact and connection and helping and serving. 
it's um it's what I believe is my calling and my duty mm-hmm. for this earthly journey out journey when did you feel called because that's always the question when people say they feel called I wonder how early that calling came for you I was just having a conversation with another participant and they were like I remember really early on knowing I was called and I was like wow there's there's not there's no one moment okay throughout my life um I've been through some real dark, challenging moments. I think some of the more public ones are, you know, what went down at Mizzou mm-hmm. uh, with the the racism and campus climate and, you know, our efforts to make the, cli- the campus and the climate better. There were several awakening moments during that whole process um, where I came into contact with just the depth of humanity, um, mm. the whole spectrum, the yeah. beauty and the, the, the dark sides of it. Um, I mean, and we can go into, I mean, even undergrad, you know, playing football at a large, predominantly white um, elite university, the University of Georgia, go dogs. Um, <laughs> um, so, I mean, any, I, I can get into the childhood stuff, you know, the trauma, you know, um, having an incarcerated parent, you know, um, seeing the variety of class levels, you know, from middle to upper to working class. And so... When I look at all of those experiences, it's almost like there's an opportunity to be. It's almost like every day I'm, I'm, I'm I wake up to that calling. But you, know, you woke up to it. That's what I'm getting at. Like I think we're all called for something, but some people ain't waking up to the calling, and everybody's calling looks different. What woke you to yours early? Because it sounds like you were clear that something was pulling you, something was inviting you. It, it, it's like I've always had this curiosity, curiosity. you know, like it's, it's just curiosity inside of like, what is this? What is this? What is this for? What does this mean for me in my existence? Um, you, you know, so having my mother, who was a, a very successful doctor, lose her medical license mm. and go to prison when I was in seventh grade. It's like, what does this mean? Like, yeah. what does it mean to be away from my mom? You know, what does it mean to be from stability? What does it mean to go to a new school? What does it mean to, you know, have everybody know that my mom went to prison and to change class? Yeah. You know? And so I think my openness to observe and then also act, because I had to mm-hmm. observe what's going on, but I also mm-hmm. had to act. It's like, okay, am I going to let this thing disrupt my grades? Am I going to let this thing, um, these wounds prevent me from doing things that are going to be helpful for me, you know, making new connections in school, um, you know, doing things to better myself. And so I think between the curiosity and um, the the positive action in my life, mm-hmm. I've been able to tap into that, that calling. And even the moments where I've run away, I've still had an openness to, okay, like I notice I'm running away. I'm, I see yeah. myself moving away. So it's like this consciousness that I've just continued to lean into instead of avoid or run from mm. and now it's just it feels like direct experience like wow, I, I, okay. I can run but I can't hide at this point <laughs> it's your you're conscious enough to know that regardless of whether you need to retreat the moment will pull you back or the experience will pull you back yeah so like when I wake up uh Candace I I don't question like what I'm here to do on the earth like yeah. it's like I wake up very focused and like there's like a sense of peace and knowingness mm-hmm. I mean I started you know I've been running my business for you know 
a little over a year, yeah. you know, on my own since February for sure, like no full-time job. Um, and that's scary. Yeah. And you know, I was like, all right, where's the money coming from? I gotta, I gotta um go hunt what I eat. Yeah. And so there was that like angst as a new entrepreneur, and there's also this sense of peace. It's like yeah. You you got you got all the skills. You got a PhD room. You need to chill. Uh, you you the universe, God, source is working in your favor. Mm-hmm. Allow it to happen. Everything you're not going to be able to problem solve, fix, plan for, structure. So there's almost like a faith in knowing that things are working for my good and yeah. the good of us as um as a human collective. And you hold this faith alongside an awareness of all the suffering. Yes. And you have to have both. Yes. Yes. I don't want to have one at the expense of Mm -hmm. other. What are some other aspects of your identity that you didn't name that may not have been mentioned? Like, so I think about other aspects people have noted, like you mentioned social class and transitioning class. Um, ability status or neurotypicality, age you mentioned, sexual identity, like all of these other aspects of identity that intersect with the ones that you noted. And it can be anything that I didn't mention too. Ooh, I mean, it's such a broad question. Mm-hmm. It's, so, it's such a broad question. And, and I feel like Given the the time I've spent with myself, I could get nuanced about really any of that I did it. Sure, go whatever one comes to mind, whatever one you feel called to. The one that um has been because I could talk about race all day, mm-hmm. so it's like oh, let me let me switch it up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like the one that I think uh, it has been most fear provoking and exciting at the same time is um sexual identity um you know what about the fear what about the excitement so let me see where what how how much context to give so you know i've grown up straight and i am attracted to women and i also realized that because of how heterosexism works and the systems of oppression work, I never investigated heterosex heterosexism and mm-hmm. heterosexuality. It's like it's um, compulsory. Exactly. And so I remember, you know, back in college, I used to be, I used to say, I want a wife who's going to cook and clean. And, you know, my <laughs> mom, my mom, who's this Gemini woman, you know, just, uh, a powerful and beautiful woman. She's like, Ruben, why do you, why? Like, you don't you want, uh, you want a partner who's going to do more than that. And it was like, it finally sunk in what she was saying. And it's like, that's true. It's like, mm. I actually like to cook and clean. So why would I? <laughs> why do I need somebody to do it? Exactly. Like, well, and what other qualities can another human have? Or, or do I want in a partner that I haven't even begun to explore mm. because of the narrow programming that I got from the interpretations of Christianity that I received? Yeah. And just the messages that I receive from my family and such. And so I bring this up because once I realized that programming and how narrow it was, like I I remember being in grad school, I used to tease my roommate. I used to be like, well, I love you. And he was like, it was it was, it was tough for him to say. Yeah. Like, like, what's that about? What's mm-hmm. that about? I've had and this conversation with my husband because he's the type of man that will tell other men, I love you, man. I love you, bro. 
And sometimes they are like taken aback. And he was like, I'm gonna keep saying it because I do. <laughs> and that used to be me. I used to be on the other end. Love, love was uncomfortable for me. And, mm-hmm. and I had ideas about love and emotionality and intimacy that that weren't necessarily my own or true to me. Yeah. And so the beauty of recognizing that is I the, the awareness and understanding allowed me to divest from those beliefs yeah. and then start finding my own. So it's like now it's like, yeah, I'm attracted to to men and I'm not, I'm, you know, not men, but women. Um, and I'm probably not going to be sleeping with men, but I can also form intimate relationships with men mm-hmm. or or be attracted to a trans person and not feel all these, this this shame and guilt and homophobia and bubble the way that it did. Yeah. Like, and so that's been liberating. It's like, I don't have to, uh, you know, have one partner and then have it move in together and kind of go up this relationship escalator. Mm-hmm. I get to create my relationships as I want them. Yeah. Very Do you fuck with relationship anarchy? Um, fuck, fucking with it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, for sure. And that was a, that was one of the the frameworks as I was yeah. going through my spiritual and relational journey that really gave me permission to engage in self-inquiry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it. I mean, Does it feel like the self-inquiry process had stuck points for you or was it smooth once you opened yourself up to the fact that you could? What, what is the smile? <laughs> Because I'm like, uh, a, a life be life in like nothing smooth. I mean, but, but, you know, I can, I was just thinking through my answer um, yeah. as I listen to you. Were you, were you going to say more? About no, I was just curious about that. Like, you know, when you open yourself up for inquiry, it's exciting, like you said, but you also mentioned the fear. And I was yeah. just wondering what that looked like, how the fear materialized or well, how the excitement materialized. It's an ongoing process. I mean, I can look back at the journey and see both of those instances where, mm-hmm. you know, the moment I decided to um, say yes to inquiry, everything got easier, you mm-hmm. know, and then also opening that door, you know, that structurelessness can be overwhelming. It's like, yeah. I don't have a framework to work off of. I don't have somebody telling me what to do or my, you know, my family or institution telling me what's important. Mm-hmm. I get to figure that out, which you know, early on and without practice can be overwhelming and scary. And that's also the canvas to be the creative creators that I yes. think we are as humans. Yeah. But even now, so if that's in the past, I can find examples where it's very easy and also comes with stuck points. I'm still going through it. You know, mm-hmm. I, um, <laughs> you know, as humans, we're always relating with other humans if we're doing it right. And I'm constantly, you know, figuring out, kind of calibrating my humanity and my skills to connect with other humans. And it's not easy, especially when you want to do it with integrity to me, Mm -hmm. like it's very easy to get pulled back into heteronormative, heterosexist practices and beliefs. And, you know, so it is hard to resist that urge to go back into it. Like it's actually easier at this age to say, yeah, I want a wife and kids, you know, and to just do that at this point. I mean, especially, you know, as a man, the way, biology set up and I think yeah. the society is laid out and at the core that's not what I want mm-hmm. and to hold space for that not being yes. what you want when yes. other people want it for you yes. yes or from you yeah yes and that's the dominant norm like there's I, I see more of that than, than you know people really questioning and 
And I think because I'm doing my own questioning, I'm more sensitive to when people aren't. It's like, mm -hmm. I hear you say you're open to this lifestyle and the, the my intuition tells me you're not. And then, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I'll embark on the journey and I'll learn, which helps me calibrate my intuition more. It's like, I knew it, Ruben. Like, all right, now you know in the future. Yeah. Sometimes I just see it ahead and it's like, ah, red flag, let's avoid this. Uh, let's avoid this one. Let's avoid mm -hmm. harm. You know? mm -hmm. Let's avoid harm. Yeah. Building out a little bit from this. So you're thinking about the different ways human beings relate to each other. And my question is, what does love mean to you? I think I said last time. It's it still applied. Folks, if y'all are listening to this one, go listen to <laughs> season one with Ruben, the graduate student, because I was definitely on to something early on. Because um, I think I remember I said love is everything. Mm. And now if I could tag it on, I would also say love is nothing too. Love is mm. both everything and nothing at the same time. You got to build this out because now I need to know how. Don't worry. I'm, I'm yeah. ready to talk. <laughs> um, so everything in the sense that there's this saying, um, I am that, you know, mm. uh, some, okay. some, spiritual teachers use and what i like about that phrase it's it's very simple yet very pro profound in the sense that it takes the i the ego mm -hmm. and says it is everything outside of you i mm -hmm. am that i am candace mm -hmm. you know, i'm that chair candace is in you know uh you know i'm those books behind candace there's like a, a relationship between yeah. and it's hard for people to to capture that, but but that's the vastness of love. That's mm -hmm. the that's the vastness of this existence. And there, and so getting into the nothing part of it, there's no words to describe that. Mm. Nothing, nothing is the closest you can come to it. I mean, we could talk about compassion, um, you know, self love. We can talk about all these phenomena that that are efforts to yeah. explain that vast, the vast nature of love. But nothing is one of the words that captures it because there's no mm. word that can capture the vastness of it. But we we are it too. That's the thing. That's the really cool thing. We're the expressions of that mm. love. So there's a part of it that's seeing yourself in everything. Yes. But I don't know how many languages you speak, but the ones that you speak don't get at all of the other pieces that are that make up the embodiment of love or the action of love. Yes. I mean, there's layers to it. And I feel mm -hmm. like we infinitely deep into it because I even like what you're saying with the language. Like there's nothing in the English language that I know about. And I don't know well enough any other languages to even take us there. Mm -hmm. In some ways, even if we did know all the other languages, language can't describe the vastness of mm -hmm. it. The language is part of it. Yeah. And it's also not part of it. It's not enough. Mm -hmm. see what i'm saying it's it's kind of if, if we try to capture it with our mind we can't do it because there's 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 no way to, to frame it like there's no mm -hmm. box to put it in it's just mm -hmm. so vast does it feel like when you try to describe it it boxes it in in some ways mm, in some okay. ways um and you know like when I start talking about love, that's the closest um, vein to get into that vastness. And that's okay. why I like talking about love. And that's why 
everything I'm doing is usually a conduit to get back to love for uh, someone. Yeah. I don't know whether it's consulting, whether it's speaking, um, whether it's psychology, Dr. Rubin, like in any of those roles, in my just existence, even outside of those roles, like it's getting back to that recognition of that truth. It's like, mm -hmm. I, I am that, I am that. Does it feel like when you're, when you are that, when you notice it, that you notice something about how you move, how you operate, that's different than when you forget? Yes, because I think some people, when they hear this, it's like, oh, that's passive, or he's just not trying to focus on the issues. And it's like, no, this doesn't, this, this, this is not a prescription for what I do or don't do. Mm -hmm. it, it creates some um, unawareness, uh, understanding, maybe even a groundedness to then consciously yeah. decide what I'm going to do. Yeah. So when I look back at some of the activism I was engaged in, had I had this type of orientation, it might have shifted some of the things I chose to do. And it might yeah. not have shifted some of the things I did. Like, right. you know, I remember one particular protest, you know, it was at the peak of racism at, <laughs> at, at that particular movement. So Dr. Rubin was on one. It wasn't even Dr. Rubin. It was just Rubin trying to get a PhD and get out yeah. of grad school. So yeah. the urgency, the vibes were just different. And I remember one protest, it, you know, there was a... um. Folks in Mizzou know there was like a racism lives here era where mm -hmm. we were focusing on racism and all the demonstrations and uh, marches were tuned to dealing with racism. And so we were in the student center and I remember just yelling in this white boy's face and looking the way I justified it back then. It was like, well, he needed to get the message. Mm. Looking back on it now, it's like, Ruben, if somebody was yelling in your face, you want to you want to fight. Like, mm -hmm. that is not nice. That is not how you want to treat a human. And so something so small changes because of my orientation. It's like, yeah. all right, I see myself in this white person, even in the context of racism, white supremacy, even in 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 his ignorance in that moment, or even some of mine, like, mm -hmm. I can now hold compassion for myself for what I did. And I also can improve where it's like, all right, all right Ruben. You can you can be more thoughtful or mindful um, in in how you humanize folks and how you engage the change process. For mm. folks. What would have shifted if you were you doing that same direct action now? Yeah. Oof. What? Hold on. Let me, ask me the question again, so I can make sure I answer the right thing. Yeah. What would have shifted? Like if you. We're on your way to that movement, to that direct action now. What would you what would you today do? I might not even go to be honest. Mm, okay. Okay. It's a different it's a different time. It's yeah. a different time. Like it's it's the risks are different. Yeah. You know? In what um, way? These are kind of just off the top of the head. Yeah, go for it. Because this, I know some of this was even before, before COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And COVID hit, everybody was quarantined, had to go inside. And then so, you know, people's social skills were already bad before coronavirus and the social distancing. But I think that time away, people really lost some social mm -hmm. skills. Mm -hmm. And so now people are coming out and they're re-engaging 
social interaction, social connection, the conflict resolution. Like, you know, I'm in Tampa. There's plenty of nightclub shooting. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to go out and get shot. I don't want to go to a protest and get ran over. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm scared and I'm not going to go. But I think my threshold for engaging in uh, collective action in that way is just different. Like, yeah. it, it's going to be different to get me out in front of an audience of 3,000. You know, George Floyd was a very unique uh, experience. Mm-hmm. And so I guess part of it is investigating why I'm going to go to those things. I know mm-hmm. in the past it served as a very helpful and much needed catharsis for emotion. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I couldn't, I needed to go through what happened in Mizzou to get here. And so I'm yeah. not saying that's bad. I'm not telling the people right. you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying things evolve, things evolve as we evolve. But I, so yeah, like I think I would even question if I need to be in that space mm-hmm. and if that is the most meaningful way to engage in individual and institutional level change. Yeah. Um, if I were to be in that situation now. And this, uh, this hits on a conversation I had with my, my research team yesterday, because we were talking about what type of action should happen here at the university. And I was like, there are three levels of risk you have to contend with. So you got to contend with life risks, meaning that you might die doing this liberation work. And you have to contend with livelihood risks, meaning you might lose your ability to provide resources for yourself and the people within your care. And then there are luxury risks, which, you know, that doesn't mean they're not painful or whatever, but they don't look the same as life risks and livelihood risks. And I was like, depending on your social context, your privileges, your marginalizations, you might engage in actions at different levels of risk. And so that will shift in at different time points. And I was like, there was a time in my life before I had my son where I was willing to die for this work. And I was like, that's not the case for me right now. And maybe it'll go back and maybe it won't. I don't know. You know, but, you know, they were like, oh, so, you know, I was like, what if you're the first person in your family to earn this degree? And this is going to change the trajectory of every generation after you. Maybe you're not going to risk your livelihood. Maybe you're going to do something different. And there's no judgment or shame on that. That's what it sounds like as you name that. Ooh, I'm. I'm glad you all had that conversation with those students because when we were try- we were just trying to figure out that concept mm-hmm. and we had to learn the hard way. You know, we had to learn. I had to learn by seeing some of the folks who were in the activist circle not get into grad school or get blackballed, you know, from from grad schools or to get and that's there. the school's fault, frankly. But <laughs> I'm just saying. You we could have done better on the admission layers. side. There's la- there's layers to it. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. even, even me, you know, I took hits that I could have never anticipated. You know, you got our college at the time saying we support what you're doing. And even me and another graduate student, we built a, a literal center for the college to do DEI related work for the college stakeholders. And I got transition, they would call it, but in the real world, it's called fire for my job. And it's like, because social justice doesn't happen in four walls Mm -hmm. i'm not doing work like Mm -hmm. and you know not not to get into the nuance but but you know the person who was the catalyst to that transition ironically was a black woman and that's not me shading that's not me shading black women because i love black women but it's just like you know these systems they're insidious and they affect everybody even the ones even the targeted, the people who are targets of the very yeah. systems. Absolutely. Ooh, and so, you know, um, there are real consequences. So I'm glad you're putting that on folks' radar because, you know, you don't know until you know. You we don't know don't. until you 
you know, and, and until you find out. And I think it's helpful to go into it with some intention. Like, yeah, you get to be right intentional now, about this, the level of consequence and risk I'm willing to take. And this is what I'm not going to do. It changes your tactics. Yeah, it changes your, it changes your tactics. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. And I'm fully in support of people whose tactics mean that they're putting their lives at risk and fully in support of people who are like, I'm going to write this op-ed. Like all of that can have my support. Yes. What would the world be like if it loved you? If it loved people with your unique intersections of identities, your humanity, like all of those pieces. I got to give a shout out to the old Ruben who, and how I answered this question. But, you know, doesn't the world already love me already? Um, Is that what you said? No, I didn't say it like that. Oh. But that's why I, what I would say. That's what I'm going to okay. say today. Um, but it, I think the question is, uh, you know, it's like. I don't want to um, do too much with the question, but the, it makes me wonder, it's like, am I not getting love for folks? Like, is that the undertone of the question? You know, um, it's, a, it's a hypothesis. So you can yeah. tell me if it if it fits for you. Yeah. And so. There's levels to it. Because it's like once you crack the code of the programming, the socialization, I, I call it the illusion of separation or I've mm -hmm. heard it called that, but I've owned that. But once is that like from A Course in Miracles? You brought that up in the last conversation. <laughs> and the illusion of separation is the direct language. <laughs> and I didn't know that book at the time. But since then, it's come to me and it is in the same family of where I'm at. So mm -hmm. it's funny how the consciousness works you were putting me onto something i had no idea about and now it's like i, I finally found my way to it but, mm. but yes the illusion of separation um it's like once you crack that code it's like everything is interconnected I'm, and mm -hmm. there's love whether this person no matter how this person treats me because it's mm. unconditional it doesn't stop you know and so in that way i'm giving and receiving love no matter what this whole experience is a love experience mm. mm -hmm. you know so on one hand, I, 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 my work every day as a human is to not lose sight of that truth, this deep interconnectedness, because yeah. in that way, I'm giving and receiving love in every interaction, even in the words that are coming out of my mouth. Now, on the most human ego oriented level, we got some work to do, Candice. We got some work to do. And I think you, I, the folks listening to this can turn on the television um, the news, social media, and see the dysfunction and in unhelpful behavior going on in the world. Mm. We need love. We need more of it. That's why I was saying earlier, I love this topic. I love this podcast. We need that in the world, liberally. Yeah. And so um, I think if folks were loving, loving me, uh, I think they would be loving themselves. And right? I, I <laughs> that. What you got? I said, cause that, that. Oh yeah, that, that, that. Yeah, because it's like, and I think I said this last time, but it's like when we love ourselves, it creates the condition to love another person. And so, if somebody's loving me, that lets me know them love they love themselves, and that means they can love somebody else and love more people. And so, that's what I really hope. I really, um, and that's what I'm working towards. You know, because it's one thing to hope it, um, and hope it comes to fruition. And I think that's an important part, especially yeah. for us as helpers. We got to learn how to be hope dealers. We got to get mm -hmm. our stuff right. So we yeah. can deal with hope in a world that delivers hopelessness. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So I, I hope that happens. And I'm also not waiting. I'm, I'm actually, it's not about waiting. It's about me actualizing the hope. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping it happens, and I'm also assuring it happens by how I the choices that I make or don't yeah. make in my life. That actualizing the hope hit for me because so I don't know if you saw this. This is my first time seeing this in my 39 years of life. You know the Maslow's hierarchy and needs, right? It's co-opted. <laughs> I didn't know that, and I was like, so there's another level. And it was like community or cultural actualization and cultural perpetuity. I was like, guess what the fuck I've been talking about? Like, I didn't even know that was up in there. And that when you said actualizing the hope, to me, that's what that looks like. Yes. Yes. I think it's so I'm so glad you shared that because now that I'm done with my training, you know, I'm out of the academy I feel like I am going through another kind of training, mm. like, or a, 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 a divestment from the yep. socialization and, a, and an investment into a, a psychology that actually helps people yeah. and the people who are most marginalized, especially mm-hmm. by psychology. Yes. And so that's one of the things that I picked up on after my training. Um, all the interventions and tools or many of them that I learned to that have been most helpful to work with. Um, you know, marginalized folks, I had to relearn that. I didn't mm. get those mm-hmm. in my class. Like, uh, example, you know, my history of psychology class, they talked about Plato and Socrates, and I didn't hear Africa once. Mm-mm. And it's like, what are the implications of not talking about how Africa gave civilization to the world to a developing Black psychologist? Yes. It's not It's not good unless, yes. you know, somebody takes initiative and does it on their own, And which is what I'm, which is what I talk about. It's like, Y'all, we got to accept that the institutions are not where they need to be. And I think there's a lot of grief with that. I think that's what pushed me to start engaging in activism. It's like, y'all say y'all care about diversity, equity, inclusion. Y'all need to do it. Put your money. So I needed that. And part of the journey for me has also been accepting where people and institutions are at in that moment and still getting my needs met, even if they're not willing to do that. It's like, how can I do it then? Mm, mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you do it? Do it. <laughs> like, no, I mean, like, what are some of the ways, like you talked about pursuing <laughs> other forms of knowledge? What have you been like? What are the oh, things you've been? Oh, yeah. my bad. Uh, um, I wish you could see my my collection of books over here, but I, I read. I spend mm-hmm. time with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I grieve a lot mm-hmm. of grief. I cry. Um, and a lot of that is because I was told about a world that is not rooted in reality. And, you know, so when reality comes, it slaps me. It's like, damn, why is reality so tough? And it was like, you've been living in a fantasy. Mm, you know, mm, mm. you got some more programming um, to to detach from, to diffuse from, to deprogram. Um, so you can connect with reality and, um, you know, b- behave and be human accordingly once you yeah. do contact that reality. I was talking about like this idea of elitism that I'm divesting from. And I was like, y'all, I was like, we wouldn't even be sitting here in this room together with my mentees if we weren't all some ways invested in elitism. Like, why the fuck do you need a PhD when you can be a healer without it? You know, why would you want to come learn here? I was like, so we're all buying in. And the active process of divestment is for me investigating what is valuable about this to me outside of making me better than another human being like and then everybody hit the mm, that hit me they were like i don't believe i'm better than other people and i was like you don't 
Right. So let's talk about when you said, and they were like, oh, I'm like, I do it every day. I'm still working on that. So it's a constant process. Mm. Candice, I'm glad we got you in the world. Um, I think it takes a lot of vulnerability, humility to bring other humans um, into this place of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying that. Moving into a second to last question, what identities and others do you sometimes struggle to love? Identity. Does the identity does it have to be like a social identity group? Or no, like- it can be. Uh, there's so many ways to think about identities. So however you think about it. I like that. Get me out of the box. I like that. This is something I'm working on. <laughs> Anytime anybody says that, you got to watch out. Um, <laughs> Why? You got to watch out. You know, you know how shame and guilt works, or, you, know, <laughs> you know, social approval and such. Um, a couple of things come up. People who are stuck in unnecessary suffering, mm. which is many of us and even me myself at different points. And then um, this dynamic where I want people to change and they, they don't, they're not changing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it shows up in the different roles. It shows up in my own life, um, you know, with the disappointment I might have for myself or doing something where it's like, yeah. I know, but like, why do you do that? So very human phenomenon. And then the first one. The unnecessary suffering, we do that uh, often, all of us. And it's mm-hmm. almost like when, we, when we're not cracking that code, the socialization, usually what comes from it is a lot of unnecessary suffering. Like if, mm-hmm. what, what, we see on the, what we see on TV, the news, the media, the current events going on here and abroad, that's unnecessary suffering. What makes you tap into that and makes it tough to love people who are in that space. Cause my ego, my ego wants, wants to fix them and wants to, mm-hmm. I, even, I, I even, even using the word fix them, I'm already cate- categorizing it as a problem, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, part of the fix in the ego in me says there's a problem. I want to, I want the solution. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm working on this because it's not always that linear. Sometimes the problem is just going to be the problem. Um, and it's not going to have a solution and I'm not going to be a part of the solution. And so I've really been doing some deep, um, acceptance work and that pushes me to allow things to be how they are, Mm -hmm. even if they're dysfunctional, even if they're broken, even if that's not where I want them to be. And that, that practice it's, it's changing the way I hold compassion for myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's changing the way I engage change with people. I'm, I'm very sensitive to the message I, messages that I, I get that are overt and covert that say, I'm not ready to change. I don't yeah. want to change. Or I'm ready to go, Ruben. Let's yeah. go. And I think that when you just said like things being like wanting to fix them, seeing that, oh, I, I might have a solution to this or seeing things as dysfunctional. I feel I feel you on that journey where I'm in that space. Like, okay, everything is functional, but what is the function? 
What's, what is this functioning for? What? Why is this system functioning in this way? What is it support? What is the meaning? And that helps me think about my level of responsibility to fix it. <laughs> like yes. this is functioning the way it was designed. Yes. Okay, so if somebody designed it, this their responsibility and it's not mine. Or if I contributed to this, that's my responsibility. What can I do to own that and be accountable, you know? Yes, I do. <laughs> Last question. Right. What do you love most about you? Ooh, I, I got a whole react. I, 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 I can't help but to bring up the last one because I listened to it a, a little bit before this one. And I was like, and then you asked me about my reaction. Uh, so I feel more clear on this. What I, what I love about myself is um, I love a lot of things. The mm -hmm. one that's coming to mind at this point is is my pre pre made choice to choose courage. Mm -hmm. It's like there's a piece with my life that I'm so grateful that I've I've come into contact with because I know there's challenges ahead and I know there's going to be tragedy ahead in my life. And one thing that I've committed to is choosing courage. I know those things are going to be scary. I know I'm going to have tough conversations. I know I'm going to go through relation ruptures. And <clears throat> as I know those things are coming. And so the choice that I make in every moment or that I try to make more so than not is to choose courage. It's like yeah. when fear's there, I choose courage. When there's conflict, I choose courage. Mm -hmm. That knowing that I'm going to make that choice every time yes. or as many times as I can, it just um it's almost like I'm in a I'm on a surfboard riding life out. It's like, mm -hmm. all right, so uh, whatever comes what may, I'm gonna choose courage. So that's my one of my favorite qualities about myself. How has it benefited you? Like how has choosing because this is one of those things that I hone in on in trainings. Like you you get a choice here, and choice one of the choice options is courage, but people don't see always how that choice is beneficial to them. In what ways has choosing courage been really good for you? And it might not be the impact, but just yeah. like how you experience yourself. You're going exactly where I'm going. <clears throat> the courage started with me accepting the journey to figure out who and what I was mm, okay because it's e like I, I think it's easier to move off the programming it's oh like, yeah it is I'm a black man so I gotta behave this way you know I'm a I'm a straight black man I gotta behave this way you know or I'm cishet I gotta behave this way and so the courage to even investigate that programming it connected me with my authentic self mm. and so that that courage to um reflect that out that authenticity and that that beingness at my core outwardly has created conflict and tension where you know I've lost opportunities um I've lost relationships mm -hmm. um with people in my family um you know professional relationships and on the other side of that are the very opposite things, you know, new relationships, new opportunities, people who understand what I'm trying to do, mm -hmm. um, new connections, new opportunities, uh, I guess I said new opportunities. And so the things that I've lost are also the very things that I've gained. Yeah. So I, I did I lose anything? I don't know. You had a different 
relationship than you have now with those people. You have uh, new relationships that you didn't have before. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes, 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 yes. So it's cost me, but then it's also, there's also been benefit. And so yeah. it almost negates, you know, the loss. Mm -hmm. I get that. I think it's gained me a sense of my true power. Mm. Like being courage and choose being courageous and choosing courage. It's like there's really nothing I can't do <laughs> that I won't try. You know what I mean? Like, and so just because I already know if I feel afraid, that's a normal human emotion. But I know what my choice is going to be either way. And I think, Candace, that's what makes you the unique person you are. That's probably what makes me unique. And that's what I want to invite more people into because. Mm. You know, there. I grew up uh, Christian. I don't identify Christian anymore, but I do take all the beautiful things that I learned and give mm -hmm. it widely. And I, I love all the helpful parts of all the religions. But um, I think there's a quote that goes something like, God has not given us the um, spirit of fear. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like fear is not even part of our setup. Courage is the default. And so, oh, again, courage is the courage. default. Mm. Courage is, but again, the programming has us bamboozled. Yeah. It's like the fear is real, you know, um, you know, the acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. I love mm -hmm. that. Um, so, yeah, I just I'm constantly nudging myself. All right, you're afraid. What are you doing with that? What do you want to do with that? What do you want? How can you create it? You know? Yeah. My my stopping point is like, how can I create it? And then this is me and my shit. How long is it going to take to create it? How much energy is it going to take to create it? Do I have that time and energy? <laughs> I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> and these are the questions, but that is how to love a human. First of all, thank you so much for a very rich conversation. I want you to shout out where people can find you. And I'll also have it in the show notes. Yes. Uh, thank you for having me today, Candice. I really uh, admire you and appreciate you inviting me. Um, Folks, I don't think we can do this on our own. I think there are parts of it we need to do on our own. And I think we sh we should and need to do this in community mm -hmm. um, to get the bang for our buck as humans. And I'm here to help. So if you think I can help you in any way, your organization, your group, you as an individual, um, please go to www.drdr-ruben.com. Uh, I'm on social media, Instagram, Big Rube 95, and Twitter, B I G underscore R E U B. Um, that's the handle. The whole Big Rube was from football days. So I still got all my, my accounts. So that's it's like, what, I'm keeping this. Look, it is what it is. It is what it <laughs> is. Is there any particular program that you have going on right now or a training that you really like to share oh, with folks? Yes, yes. Um, most of them are confidential, but the okay. one that's public okay. and that I want to invite folks to are, uh, I am, shout out to Division 17 Counseling Psych folks, SCP. I'm facilitating a liberation workshop for early career psychologists. The link is on my social media. It's also on the SCP website. Um, and essentially, th this is me actualizing the, the life's work that I just, we were just talking about. Like, mm -hmm. I want folks to have the tools to maximize their human experience. And yeah. so that's what the toolkit, liberation toolkit experience and workshop mm -hmm. is about. Thank you. Thank you for the platform.